Hey everyone and welcome to our podcast. One, One hit KO. KO. And yeah, this is a, a big episode, number 10, uh, which means we've done almost 10 hours of uh, gaming discussion um, and we're still here and we're still raring to go for another wild episode of, uh, of, of great content. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by the man of a thousand names, Amal. How's it going? Woo! It's 10th birthday, 10th birthday celebration time. I've got the party poppers, Rob. I've got my cake. When are we going to have a party? Was that the gag? The one you built up? <laughs> yep, that's the gag. Oh boy. That was the gag. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're in a, a festive spirit. Um, looking forward to quizzing you a bit more on, uh, on this cake, which I'm definitely oh, interested in. <laughs> uh, but I'm not only joined by Amal, but also uh, uh, a very big, happy, grand welcome for uh, Luke, who is back yet again, but not just as a special guest, Ooh. as the third chair uh, of the table that is One Hit KO. Luke, welcome. Thanks, guys. So excited to be a, a more regular returning guest, uh, you know, in this time of great celebration for this anniversary episode. I'm just surprised that you've managed to uh, stick with us through uh, two episodes already. We'll but, um, see. I don't know how many more of these types of intros I can handle. My 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 poor heart. I'm not sure if oh, it's don't. the British humor or if it's something else. But oh, don't I'm, accl- <laughs> I'm got, acclimating. I'm acclimating. I've got a whole bank of these gags coming up. Don't worry. It's <laughs> going to come thick and fast. Oh, boy. Oh. Well, yeah. Um, I don't think our humour is kind of the quintessential British humour, but it's uh, definitely, definitely something. Um, when you have a bank of gags just in your back pocket, I mean, what else? What else do you need? Well, um, for anyone listening, you may hear that this is slightly a bit more kind of uh, on the cuff uh, than normal. That's because we are going rogue. We're just doing this episode without a plan, without without any pointers. We're just going in with great content and uh, hopefully we can get some cool discussions going. Um, if you do have any questions of your own or any things you want us to discuss in more detail, do let us know at onehitkopodcast at gmail.com uh, or go to the Facebook uh, page, which is also One Hit KO Podcast. Um, you can go to the Insta, maybe. I don't know. We, I don't know if we still haven't got that banned for some reason, but uh, that's definitely a thing. Well, who wants to start? What have you guys been baking for One Hit Bako? Because I've got a confession to make. Oh, no. I, no yeah. souffle? No, and I've got a reasonable excuse. I didn't want to make a souffle whilst my boiler was broken because mm. it's hard to wash stuff. Um, only the dishwasher will really wash stuff properly when it's heating water. So mm. I can't also go out to buy ingredients because it's just harder to you know take showers and stuff. So... I disappointed you guys again, but I did have a reasonable excuse this time, so um, I'm sorry. Sorry for this 10th anniversary episode, I, I did not bake anything. It was your responsibility to bring and bake the cake, but alas. The cake was are. a lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a, a nice tie in there. That's, that's the sort of gags we need. Oh, don't worry. The, yeah, the, the video game puns will continue for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, alas, this was also a no-bake KO for me as well this week. I'm, I'm looking to make a coffee cake at some point this week, Ooh. so hopefully next week uh, I can report back on that. Coffee cheesecake or coffee baked cake? Uh, a coffee baked cake, so it okay. uh, almost comes out like a like a lemon pound cake. So. Yeah, mm. cool. Coffee cake is really underrated, I feel. It's just like... Yeah. It's like the good parts of coffee um but none me? of the bad bits of coffee excuse, excuse me? me and a cake yeah the bad coffee. bits of coffee coffee is yeah. god's gift to this world it is the most amazing black liquid i'm with him on this it's just incredible it just wakes <laughs> you up it makes you feel alive it that smell of coffee whilst you're you know getting up for work or whilst you're in the office it just gets you in the mood love it just okay. gets you in on, the mood on my tier list 
on my tier list of black liquids. Yes. Uh, <laughs> firstly, uh, top of the tier is ink because you know ink. I ink. love writing. Are you, are you a boomer? Big, I'm big sorry, Splatoon but... fan over here. It must be. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's black ink in Splatoon, but <laughs> there should be. There might be. And yeah, that's that's why ink is number one. Number two is oil. It keeps the world going. Of course. Keeps my lights on. Of course. Then you're, you're contributing three. to global warming. Unless, well, well, I mean, yeah, industrial revolution. Come on, we, <laughs> we need we need oil at least in in the equation here. Yes, um, and then off. I can't think of any other black liquids apart from uh, coffee. So, coffee is in the C tier. But you don't you don't consume the other items. They don't make you feel happy or good or just set your mood for the morning um coffee is just a great thing to not just you know have it for work or you know having the day but just to go to a nice cafe and just drink a good cup of of um niche coffee really good coffee beans blended well it's just the greatest feeling let me explain uh to quote uh sojiro sakura uh yes. i mainly drink tea <laughs> I knew Persona 5 was going to work its way into this conversation. (laughs) I think it's been in like every episode, so I'm glad I could keep up the trend. Oh boy. (laughs) But I also have not baked anything either, so this is a Ah. a no-bake KO. Insert sad sound effect there. Don't worry, I'll I'll get my baking mitts on for next week and uh, have a bonanza. You bonanza. said that last week and this, the this, week before. This this week is going to be something special. Don't worry. Well, you better not let us down no. again. Because, you know, one bait KO can't go out of uh, out of operation. Out of, I don't know. We, we need it next week, is what I'm saying. <laughs> cool. What have you guys been playing this week when it comes to uh, the video games? In terms of, uh, I've been trying to go through the backlog of single-player narrative games. So I mentioned Last of Us, mentioned Valorant, a couple other games in the last few episodes. But I just started on Friday Uncharted 4. So oh, nice. Big fan of the Uncharted series. Uh, played all three on, on PlayStation 3. And for some reason, when 4 came about, I think there were just other things on the priority list at that point. And so... Now I have this rare opportunity to play the previous Naughty Dog game after having played Last of Us Part Two. So in this way, I'll almost get to see if, you know, depending on what people might say, has Naughty Dog improved over time in terms of storytelling or have they actually truly gone off the deep end with Last of Us Part Two? So very, mm. very different style and tone that this game takes, but really engaging so far. So your ultimate tomb raider slash indiana jones just like the previous games were but now we're starting to inject some family drama into the mix so a nice a nice soap opera effect for this one decent yeah i I think like in terms of tone the two games are very very different but um i'd be interested to see kind of yeah your your take on it after playing the last of us part two because i think there's a lot of things the last of us does in terms of like you know the sort of environment traversal the jumping around and things like that where you know uncharted is famous for that cinematic like you know jumping clinging to the ledge doing some crazy acrobatics and that sort of thing and that feels quite exhilarating i think last of us brings that uh down into a more kind of realistic plane um which definitely suits the kind of the setting more but i'd be interested to see whether you think like uncharted 4 is just a more fun experience even if it's maybe not as kind of uh you know set in its own you know contained universe as sure. well sure did both of you guys play uncharted 4 aim on that you i, I assume no i've never no played the uncharted game. series or uh, any of the last of us games gotcha. so and rob i assume you've completed uncharted 4 oh no no i oh, in no. the same place i bought it and never played it so one day i might actually do the same as you i think i, could be quite I do fun. have yeah. the uncharted collection free i think it was free a month ago back in the first month of lockdown sony was giving it yeah. away I think you're on right. ps uh, psn so maybe i'll get round to it one day when i get my ps4 definitely yeah. i think as a 10th episode present you should just you know uh, click buy the myself. buy button 
I've got. I, I just bought a, a whole load of Steam games, which we might get into. Um, so may, maybe, maybe I've off to, I've cleared those those particular games first. Spring, spring, and summer sales on Steam are dangerous. It yeah. just makes it so easy to just see what was on that wish list. Yeah, hard to constrain yourself, uh, but I, I think <laughs> I managed to. I think I managed to. I've kind of gone down a weird route where I'm instead of buying games on sale i'm trying to buy like old limited editions of stuff on ebay which is kind of weird I'm, I'm addicted to this this ps4 thing they did where they have like this box that has a steel book and an art book in it and it fits so perfectly and it's like so steel books are super cool until you realize you don't really look at the steel books and i mean i at least i don't i haven't got a sh- all of my cupboards in my room are all closed so it's just all my games are just closed off and i can't really view them from a distance so for me it'd be a bit of a waste but i just feel like they look really cool but at some point every you can just get everything as a steelbook and is it worth the cost the way i justify it is like i want to get the big cool games on like their special edition i don't really care about like every game but like you know if i can get the last of us 2 god of war Mm. horizon i'm i'm happy Real yeah. question: Do you get rid of the old box once you get the steel book for it? Because I feel like somehow I have two steel books for Fallout seventy six, neither of which are particularly <laughs> valuable, especially now. Uh, but I also have the original case that the game came in, so I literally have like two empty steel books, one game case, one game. I need to figure out what I'm keeping, what I'm not. So. Do you guys keep your original packaging once you have a steelbook, or do you upgrade to just the new one? No, um, I just keep the the old packaging. Honestly, um, mm-hmm. in 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 the in the cases that I do have a steelbook, I don't even put the game in the in the steelbook. It's just in storage, so um, I don't really have a, a complete answer to that point. But Rob probably has something a bit better. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm kind of the same in that like most games only come for steelbook now, but if they come with both, I will just keep the normal game in a normal box. Because also like I find getting discs out of steelbooks is a lot more difficult. Like they don't have the the same kind of squidgy plastic thing in the middle that makes like getting the disc out so easy. Mm. So it's, it's like it's a bit more hassle. I'm worried I'm gonna like bend or screw up the disc. But uh, yeah, so Luke, what you're trying to say is uh, basically three boxes on your shelf. Uh, that space has been allocated to Fallout 76. Yes, unfortunately. Well, either you have a lot of space or, you know, you have some interesting tastes. Uh, oh, no. I won't hey, judge man. you. The tricentennial edition kind of, uh, kind of fooled us all, if you ask me and my friends. So there's also a, a power power armor helmet somewhere in storage if you guys are interested but <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh wow oh yeah and a canvas bag and a nylon bag from gamestop i don't know if you guys heard about that yeah the whole bag oh the big drama bag yeah luke can you explain i think this is a story worth hearing again. <laughs> sure sure yeah so to catch everybody up i know we was likely an inside joke unless anyone's familiar with it but fallout 76 a highly anticipated latest game in the fallout franchise from bethesda softworks they put together a multiplayer version of Fallout that takes place in Appalachia in the West Virginia. And so with this special edition, they put out a, I believe it was a $300 copy of the game that came with a fully, uh, you know, foam version of a power armor helmet inside of a massive box came with a steel book with the game there was the tricentennial version so a couple small little cosmetic freebies in the game and then they were also supposed to send a a bag with it a canvas bag with it and in all the promotional art it was a a pretty nice canvas bag uh with the branding from one of the corporations in the game when the copy finally showed up to people who had pre-ordered this version uh and i'm pretty sure it sold out pretty quickly online when they opened it up, they found the canvas bag ended up being this super thin nylon plastic. And so it was probably a bag that cost only, you know, pennies on the dollar to actually produce. And people were already upset with the game. It was very buggy. It wasn't very running very well. The multiplayer was not super engaging. There were no NPCs to actually give you quests. So you were kind of making your own narrative in the game. So the game was not doing well. 
And now all of a sudden, a lot of people feel cheated that the special collector's edition did not come with something of value. So enough people uh, petitioned online slash, you know, raised their voices. And finally, Bethesda's like, okay, send us pictures of your receipt, your pre-order confirmations, your name on a sticky note. Please put your PSN ID uh, so that we can track down your order and verify that you actually did pre-order this thing. And we will ship you a canvas bag that you quote-unquote deserve. Finally, the canvas bag shows up uh, probably about two months later. And uh, now it is just another collector's item that's kind of gaining dust. So a long plight for Fallout 76. <laughs> I'm quite surprised that they, even though they did, like there was a lot of pressure, which I don't think was helped by the game being... Um... Not great, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen uh, many kind of publishers buckle and actually do that. I remember there was one really funny one where I think it was one of the Marvel versus Capcom games where they had, I think, Infinity Stones as a collector's edition. No way. And they had like um, artwork and they looked like, you know, like these proper kind of like really nice stones, like proper crystal type things. And when, when they actually uh, eventually came, they were just kind of like these really cheap looking eggs. I think this is like a $100, $200 package. Oh. And it was very funny. <laughs> I think a lot of these editions can be not as good quality as um, you, you probably hope, I guess. Which I think was the case with this uh, yeah. bag scenario. Yeah. You, you run the, the question of, you know does this in it of itself become collectible down the road, right? Is this going to go down as something like almost like the, uh, the ET uh, Atari 2600 yeah. game, right? Where it's the worst game ever made. And, but now all of a sudden they're valuable because they represent this terrible moment in video game history. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of probably going to hold on to it, but at the same time, <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird kind of because you have memory. so many special editions these days. Yes. Just every game comes with a special edition. At what point does that become so commoditized in terms of it's just so common that it's not valuable anymore, even yes. if even in like 20 years or so, or this special edition of this random game, should it be worth anything or will it just be something that nobody actually wants um, mm. apart from the most, you know, um, enthusiastic game collectors um, so it's an interesting balance to try and predict uh, what will be valuable in the future yeah yeah and maybe some some logical fallacies in there too right well well I spent all this money on it therefore mm. you know it has to become valuable someday you yeah. know we can't we can't cope with the sunken loss of the fact that you know uh, we spent too much money on something that didn't end up bringing us that much happiness yeah yeah like I think if you're buying these sort of things with a long-term view to like, or can I sell this, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a really bad game, for example, but I can just think of Fallout 76. Like, my Fallout 76 power armor helmet, will I be able to sell this in 20 years when I'm in, like, my 50s for, like, maybe twice as much as I purchased it for? That sort of long-term look, yeah. like, yeah, I don't think it's the most sensible thing to do. But if, if it brings you value and it brings you mm -hmm. happiness and you appreciate it as part of your collection, I think that is perfectly legitimate in itself. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, I'm on a podcast talking about it now, so I'd say it's <laughs> brought me that value. <laughs> yes, the anecdote is definitely <laughs> worth uh, the hundreds of dollars that you spent. Rob. Although, actually, that's that's one thing I just... Have you played the new Fallout 76 Wastelanders update thingy? Is it any good? No, not yet. I, Me and my friends, we were talking about getting back into it because we were excited by this, you know, massive content update where you know, there'd be actual storyline added. So uh, my hope is that we'll go back to it. I do love the music and I do enjoy the gameplay of Fallout 76. So it kind of just depends on, since it's multiplayer... That's the only reason why I'll go back, but it's also the reason why me and my friends have not gone back yet. Is um, wasn't there supposed to be a battle royale mode? Yeah, they that did add that. They did add that pretty quickly after they announced oh. it. I've, it's I'm confusing it with Battlefield 5's Firestorm mode, but yeah, they did add that. I'm not sure if that was limited time or what the reception on that was. Yeah, I can't imagine the reception being very. Mm large in terms of the number of players playing that game and also mm. just the battle royale fatigue setting in at that point mm. um, i just want to play a good fallout game like i know 
Uh, well, I, I play like Fallout 4 every year or so. Like wow. I forget about it and then I play it again. And I do, I do generally love it. It's so fun. But I need something else. Although I do have, you know, the the old ones which I can now play again. But I want a new one. You've, I might try out Fallout 76. You, you play? You've played the Elder Scrolls series, right? Uh, I played Skyrim. Haven't played any of the others. Why don't you go? Why don't you just go try Oblivion? Or um, uh, I guess that's I, the only modernish. Well, Morrowind is a stretch, but there are mods to modernize it a bit. Um, I, I guess. So I do actually have Oblivion. I bought it the xbox original version um oh. but uh, i don't know like i i just like the fallout setting and like the the shooting aspects even if they're not amazing and vats yeah. and you know all that sort of stuff i just want to do that again do you guys <sighs> soon care that fallout 3 new vegas 4 76 that they all take place in america would you prefer an elder scrolls like skyrim where it's like some fantasy setting or like does that even cross your mind because my sister went to school here in washington dc mm-hmm. and little did i know that i would eventually do that as well but that was one of the huge reasons why fallout 3 was just so special it was this was a place i'd been to before and it was like you know ended up still having significant meaning do you guys think about that stuff See, at all? that doesn't really come into the equation when i think of fallout because it's it's the post-apocalyptic setting that's above that if that makes sense hmm. that takes precedent of what i think or what i want out of a fallout game so i haven't actually thought about you know where the games are set until fallout 4 came out in terms of that being set in a different place uh, to fallout 3 and i mean i'm thinking back to the history of fallout now in terms of the in-game law and having it set in maybe china would be interesting or you know the other countries the continents and countries that got devastated by the nuclear fallout that could be quite interesting um but i'm not too sure how different it would be would would they just have a bit of set dressing for you know the whole game in terms of this is what these societies have evolved from it from their um you know pre-nuclear um era Sure. Or would it be a you know a really good homage to to what the, those cultures are like in those other countries, That's and also think about what they could have evolved in, into? Um, whereas I think with the, the the America setting, it's just very easy to lean on you know very tip, stereotypical kind of video game settings, items, stylistic sure. choices, that kind of thing. So I can see why they probably do it for artistic reasons. Um, but in terms of me wanting that setting, it's not crossed my my head, honestly, but it would be interesting. But also kind of so much of the game revolves around something that being pre-war, right? And mm. pre-war refers to both pre uh, the the war that causes the the nuclear fallout, obviously, in the game, yeah. but also pre-war and pre-World War II in US history. So yes. a lot of the the culture, the items and everything. So all of a sudden, a pre-war, you know, United Kingdom is totally different than a pre-war America yes. yep. when you have that different genre, that uh, different timeline as well. So that's yeah. really interesting, Amol. Yeah, um, they are they are producing that um, uh, the Bethesda Game Studios. The new title was Starfield, I think. Oh, yeah. That is apparently is a. I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but I'm assuming it's just going to be a Skyrim slash Fallout in space. Um, with those same kind of mechanics, same game design, that kind of thing. So that could scratch the itch for, you know, having that type of gameplay in a different setting. Um, mm. So if that ever comes to fruition anytime soon, um, maybe maybe we'll get something that scratches that itch. I think personally the, the setting is actually a big important part for me, even though I don't have as much kind of direct, uh, like, experience of like you know i've never been to boston i have been to dc once but mm. uh haven't been to boston but it's kind of like in the same way that assassin's creed 2 really makes me want to go to florence uh this mm. makes me really want to go to boston to just like look around and see the kind of the equivalent real life things like you know the the red sox stadium stuff like that like where the, the glowing sea technically is meant to be uh cool things <laughs> like that uh, in in real life um and then you know kind of draw those parallels um I, th- I that's I I think even though I don't have the like 
it doesn't it's not like relatable to me the fact that it's grounded in something that is real makes it so much more intriguing than and i think also that it does have that pre-war history which luke mentioned it makes it so much more like just fascinating to me than it does you know a fantasy realm or a, a space realm or anything yeah. like that but um yeah the the point about it being maybe not in america is interesting because there's one thing i liked about like the difference between fallout 3 and fallout 4 is like fallout 4 uh based on the commonwealth has loads of uh simpson um which is kind of hinted at in fallout 3 in uh there's one mission where a synth has kind of gone missing and turns out he's like been living as, as someone else and you kind of hear about that and you hear about how this is like a big problem and then in like a future game when you go to a different area of america it's still got a lot of the similar tropes but it keeps that sort of like continuity between the two games which is quite cool i don't know if doing it in like a different country would completely maybe be too different because it does lose a lot of those links and it might just be kind of unrecognizable and like i have no idea how to do the radio and stuff like that which is oh, the best yeah. part by a mile but that but, that, that yeah. could be really cool in terms of having your local uh, yeah it, it could be hard to execute in terms of having local music local pre-war music playing or mm. you know trying to recreate that feeling but it could also fall into the trap of you know just not paying enough attention or due diligence or you know real kind of um appreciation to the culture in terms of just doing a sloppy job of it whichever country or culture they 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 try and set it in so it could go either way if they if they try that approach Um, that's Mm. interesting i think like the kind of the distance helps make because like, I think if, if I like you know lived in somewhere that one of the Fallout games was in it might kind of be too much of a kind of parallel and I'd be listening to the music and being like oh you know I don't think this would be the stuff they were playing and stuff like that but Fallout introduces you to enough new things in a new context that is like familiar enough that you kind of feel nostalgic about it but distant enough that it's not something that you're too kind of you're analyzing in too much depth so that kind of i think they've really nailed that balance um but who knows where they're going to go next if they're going to go anywhere next they might just do another online game just to spite us all (laughs) sure cool yeah i mean i've never even thought about this this is a i know this is a huge tangent but yeah never thought about the idea of taking america out of the fallout franchise i mean enclave radio and fallout 3 i mean that's that's literally (laughs) (laughs) yeah if we're if we're talking about this, let's get a um, uh, an Elder Scrolls game set in the the land of the uh, the Khajiit. Uh, oh yeah. So was yeah. that land called again? I can't remember. I can't remember my Fallout. <sighs> yeah, that uh, that would be really cool. cool. Um, but let's 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 go the same way of the the Elder Scrolls universe. Let's uh, let's really go out there. Yeah, because like the Khajiit, uh, it's so kind of looked down upon in at least in Skyrim they are being somewhere else where they're like relatively high status and yeah. it kind of changes the status quo would actually be pretty cool you could also have you could also introduce dog like cre- okay this is me my creative you know juice is coming in now oh boy, dog a dog like race comes and invades that land and you've got like dogs these cats that kind of dynamic <laughs> uh, with the humans oh hey well, why <laughs> you know why? it would sell hot like hotcakes there has there has there been a cat versus dog game? I can't think of anything. But I would buy it. Plants versus zombies. That's the best we got. Yeah. Maybe there was a game based on the cats vs dogs movie. Uh <laughs> well. Um Okay, to just to just wrap up this uh this section, quick fire round. Oh. If you had to choose a location for the next Fallout game, where would it be? Luke, go. Oh wow. Okay. Ooh. I want I... a city. Yeah, this is tough. Uh, so we've done Vegas, we've done Washington D.C., we've done Boston. I think Appalachia for West Virginia was a great idea. Now I guess I'd like to see something else, maybe in the middle of the U.S. Uh, I'm th- maybe it's hot off the the tails of Last of Us Two, but you know, somewhere in sort of the mountainous areas of the u.s where it's a bit more rural so there's not a predefined city or icon destination where people are trying to get to something where you know the nature of how people have survived is different cool 
That's a great answer for putting you on the spot like that. Does uh, does this that. have to be set in the US or do you want us to No definitely not. It can be anywhere. Yeah. Let's go Eastern Europe. Let's let's Ooh. get those metro vibes in there and get the, the fallout take on uh, a post apocalyptic um you know, Russia or Eastern Europe or those types of Balkan states. That would be quite interesting. Or if we really want to go out there, let's go South America. I've never seen a, a game really set in that kind of setting in in that type of region, so let's let's really go out there and go South America. Hmm. I don't know about myself. So we've had Fallout Three was like in a big city with lots of metro links. Uh, New Vegas was in a desert. Uh, Fallout Four was kind of almost like by the coast. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd have to go same with Luke somewhere that's slightly more kind of deserted um yeah mountains i think that'd be quite cool or i just go for like another interesting like quite in-depth city california i don't know could be quite cool ncr you know their base do it again just realized did we just design the next fall game take place in skyrim because yes yes. mountainous (laughs) regions (laughs) We just want Elder Scrolls Five or Six, whichever yeah, one is next. Which thankfully we're getting soon. By soon, I mean like twenty twenty three. Well, that has been a good first part one. Uh, we're going to be right back with more interesting topics, more gags, more—I don't know—things. Uh, Anyone else have anything to contribute here? Well, yes. I can tell you there'll be less Fallout. So, yes, don't look forward to that. <laughs> Oh, what's the what's the song? Crawl out from the fallout, baby. Do, big iron. Do, do, big do. iron. <laughs> big <laughs> iron. Oh, this has been an excellent end. Well, we're going to be back in a short break, so hold on to your hats and stay tuned. Hey there, and welcome back to One Hit KO Podcast. This is episode 10, which is uh, the 10th episode of, of, yeah, you know what it is. That's, That's why you're that here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I can explain numbers to our uh, intelligent audience, um, which is no, you know, you, we have great listeners um, from all around the world, which is a, a fantastic seg into the first thing we're going to discuss in this second part which is locations and games. So kind of following on from the Fallout discussion that we just had. Um, it is really cool playing games and locations that you're maybe familiar with. And this has been hit home quite hard by the Watch Dogs Legion stuff, which has been happening in a Ubisoft event that may or may not still be taking place, which is set in London, which is pretty cool. I can't wait to play it, mainly because of that. Do you guys feel the same? Yeah, I... It's the first time, well, it's not the first time, but it's a modern depiction of London in an open world, which you don't get to typically see in many video games. I think the most famous examples are the very early GTAs were located in, in those in that city. And also, if you remember a little game called Zombie U on the Wii U launch oh, game. Classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that just because of the setting, the fact that you were going through the underground and it wasn't you weren't seeing you weren't going through exact replicas of let's say underground stations, famous underground stations, famous boroughs or places. But just the feel of going through, you know, the underground system and going up and seeing, you know, the London landscape was a really cool feeling. So just just like you said, that the nature that Watchdogs Free is set in London and seeing Camden Bridge and Piccadilly Circus and you know Trafalgar Square replicated quite well in those initial gameplay re- reels, this gets me really excited. Um, but also the permadeath system is quite interesting. Watchdogs Free. I don't think we'll talk about it here, but um, there's just a, a few few interesting things in that game that, that are really getting me excited. But the, definitely the setting just. You know, being able to point out where you've you visited in real life a location and being like, "Oh wow, they've they've really replicated that well," or oh, "They haven't done a great job here," or oh, "They've taken a bit of artistic license here," um, will definitely be a lot of fun. 
I think it's going to be interesting for me playing somewhere that I actually live. Yes. Because, like, if it's somewhere you visited, you're like, oh, you know, that's that's the Washington Monument. That's, you know, the White House, whatever. That's one thing. But if whatever. I'm like, you know... <laughs> this guy. I don't mean to diminish uh, any of these uh, fantastic uh, DC monuments. <laughs> don't kill me, Luke. But, um, like, in London, if I can't go like you know north of piccadilly circus come to my flat you know that sort of thing i can't navigate like i normally would Ooh. i think that might break the immersion I think, for me i don't know where they would cut it off i'm going to imagine it's going to be zone one only well i used to live in camden so i could maybe work my way to my old flat there it, but... i just i just can't imagine there being them re replicating you know zone two or even outwards and there being interesting enough, you know, locations there. Um, unless there's, like, gameplay, you know, locations that are, you know, like maybe a compound or something in those locations. But I'm just trying to think of what would be the most interesting, you know, for, for a player who doesn't live in London and has come to the game, what would they be most interested in? It's all the monuments in Zone 1, so I think they'll focus on maybe just the cut-off being Camden and... The southern cutoff being, you know, the various bridges to South London, um, and that will be the extent of it. Maybe going to Hyde Park in, in the west, and maybe so, um, not Soho, but um, Liverpool Street, and maybe uh, what's what those? Um, oh my God, Liverpool Street would be so boring. Yeah, well, what's what's east of Liverpool ever. Street? Um, you know, those those types of trendy areas around there. So I'm not too sure. So you're going to be upset when they don't have Watford in the game. Yes, I'll be very, very disappointed uh, when they don't go up to Zone 7 or 9. Um, <laughs> I mean, it would be cool to see Zone... It would be cool to see Islington and E&C, those being areas that I previously lived in. Um, but I, I doubt they'd go that far, to be fair. This is such a, a cool conversation to have with the three of us because as an outsider who only studied abroad in london for a year uh the things i know for a game that's so focused on high tech and hacking i'd love to be able to actually go inside potentially some of these you know yeah. new modern buildings like the shard or the walkie-talkie or the gherkin right like i'd love to kind of engage with the newer buildings in the city as well if that's yeah. in the realm of what the map looks like a great comparison is Division 2 just came out recently, and that's sort of a Washington, D.C. experience as well. And I had the same question. I'm like, where are they going to cut off the borders of the city? Because these there's so much that they could do in terms of where they capture with the most detail. Yeah. And I think about that, that scene in Inception where it's not the streets they have to get right. It's the feeling of walking down them that mm. needs to be done right. So I really hope that Watchdog Legion uh, makes that a very believable experience. And they, I'm sure it will be for me, but probably not for you guys. Who knows? The feeling of walking very fast down a London street and not, or get, or capturing the feeling as a tourist, just you know, standing around and everyone getting really just annoyed at you for just standing in the middle of the street, opening up <laughs> your map, uh, or even just standing on the um, the left, uh, the right, uh, the left hand side of the escalator. That could really, you know, if 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 there's a if NPCs get annoyed at you for doing that in the game. They would have got the they, they have, would have nailed just the feeling of being in London. So that that's what I'm looking out for, Ubisoft. Um, I get the impression from just watching a few trailers that they don't. I don't think the people developing it really entirely understand that side of things. I think it's done by like I, I don't know what team is. Is it Ubisoft in Vancouver? I'm not sure. Not too sure. I, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I imagine there would be. A lot of people, I mean, Ubisoft's development teams are so, there's so many different development teams working mm -hmm. on one particular game. You hear about these Assassin's Creed games, not just the outsourcing, but the multiple studios they get to help out on these games. And given the metropolitan nature of London, I assume there must be a lot of people who have, you know, lived and worked or visited London for extended periods working on the game. And and don't botch, botch those, those, you know, minute points of getting that feeling right of the city yeah i think there is one point though that like you know luke saying you wanted to go to the shard and things like that mm. a lot of these buildings if you do them like irl they're kind of cool but i think they're a bit underwhelming so i think the game <laughs> has quite a lot of license to make those sort of experiences like you know yeah 
have the still cool elements of it but also just be more interesting and obviously more engaging when you're playing them like as a gamer but yeah i don't know i just i also have this love of inside buildings especially like kind of modern buildings so like tony hawk's pro skater 3 the airport level is like i i don't know i love it i need it that sort of thing i want more of that i want more airport levels in games let me go to heathrow here's a question for you guys then uh that would be (laughs) the heathrow airport but uh if in a game that takes place in DC, you're going into a museum and you're potentially going in the White House or the Capitol building. Is there a prediction from both of you that you will have in a level or mission for Watchdog Legion of where you go? Do you like break into Buckingham Palace? Like oh, name some sure. sort of mission structure? For sure, you'll be breaking into Buckingham Palace and you'll be one of one of the members of the royal family are part of dead sec and they're part of the rebellious nature <laughs> and the queen has gone rogue or prince charles has gone rogue and you've got to rebel against your own royal family or something along those lines and there'll be for sure some type of parliament level where perhaps there's uh, a the yeah. rogue politician oh, who's part phone. of dead sec and the other factions who aren't and I, I could for sure see you know some of that stuff being in there i i really hope there is you know just the queen the queen being playable that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, like St. Paul's too. He go up and like find the Pope or the Bishop. I don't know. One of those. And the Archbishop. And the Archbishop. That's on. Yeah. Nice. I think so, he lives yeah, in know. Canterbury though, so. Yeah, but he's visiting St. Paul's for a, a day off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You guys are selling the game more than Ubisoft ever could. So. But you could even have like a Canary Wolf level where you're just talking about, you know, hacking into financial districts and stuff like that. And just seeing these skyscrapers, you know, across the city and, you know, maybe doing a kind of... Do you remember the Batman? I can't remember. Bat, kind of a Mission Impossible Batman style thing where you're you're climbing above these towers or launching mm. yourself from the sky into like the top levels of these floors at night to, to hack into these big financial data centers oh i'm just i'm just thinking of these cool ideas now that they could they hopefully integrate into the game um, that does remind me that i think when assassin's creed syndicate came out mm. um its map was like i think like Aldgate or like you know where lse was yeah and then you kind of instantly go to Whitechapel when you head east so they cut out the kind of the weird bit in between the two and well yeah that's not exactly the most seamless uh, transition if you actually live in london like if they made the same thing here that you could go to that sort of financial district quite quickly but it's still a relatively uh, kind of realistic representation of the docks that would be pretty cool so you know who knows could happen yeah bank of england let's go there as well let's 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 start a heist i'd, I'd be down well, I think it's coming out in uh, the end of October. I want to say October the 27th, but I think I've just made that up. Uh, so Definitely end of October. You're right about that. Very exciting. Very exciting. A good end to uh, to this generation. Uh, rip in peace, my PS4. A good start to the next generation. Oh, very true. Nah, it's going to be November, surely. I think they're saying there's going to be a free upgrade um, for the next-gen console. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I caught just a, a moment of the Ubisoft conference, which we could talk more about next week. But Phil Spencer came on and said that for Watchdog Legion, uh, you're definitely going to have, I think they call it smart delivery, where if if you're on the next gen Series X, mm. it will guarantee that it will upgrade you to whatever the latest version is. So I think he came on to talk about that. Yeah, and I saw uh, Far Cry. I don't know if they announced it the thing, but Far Cry Six with Gus from Breaking Bad as uh, the main antagonist, yeah, which is really leaked. cool. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding! Oh man. So, but that is uh, coming out in February, I think, and that has the same. Also on PS4, it has the same kind of buy it old gen, get it for free next gen. So it's not maybe an exclusive Xbox thing. It's kind of a general initiative, which is cool to see, um, even if it is you know pretty basic. Uh, sort of consumer-friendly policies, it's good that they're not kind of trying to get that double-dip dollar from you. Yeah. Cool. That is that is very cool. Well, Amal, do you have anything um, you want to share next in terms of topic, questions? Yeah, so um, there's recently been a lot of Half-Life news in the, in the press just because 
Um, I think Jeff Keighley released his uh, Half-Life, The Last Hours, Half-Life Alex, The Last Hours documentary, which not only just goes into, you know, the background of the development of the game. He's done a few other games he's covered in the past, I think. Tomb Raider, uh, I think another Valve game, and I can't remember. I remember maybe another game as well. He's done quite a few. But uh, there's been a lot of um, light shone onto the past development of Half-Life, which has been really cool in terms of what really happened with Valve and, and the Half-Life series. Why did it take so long for them to produce a game since Half-Life Episode 2 and, and what happened there? And so there was, there, was, there's, there was some interesting news, not just from that, but also Arcane's cancelled Half-Life game, which was going to be Half-Life 2 Episode 4, Ravenholm. And um, it was um, it was um, covered on a documentary by Noclip, Noclip Documentaries, and uh, it was just really cool just seeing you know the how finished of a product that game was. They they showed pretty near finished gameplay or gameplay that was in an alpha state, and just seeing the really cool unique features they were going to put into the game in terms of unique weapon sets like a, a magnet gun and also a gun that could shoot nails into the wall but would link electric currents so kind of playing with the portal gun idea but really you know going a bit more crazy and zanier on these cool gun ideas but also the setting in terms of you'd be hanging out with this npc that would be testing himself and injecting himself with head crab juice and cooking head crabs and all that kind of stuff he was kind of a, a bizarre kind of side character that you'd be playing with all set in a in a city in in Half Life Two, uh, Ravenholm, a town, which just seemed really cool, and it's just a shame that that didn't come to fruition. But also, just the other the other cancelled projects that I talked about in terms of the other four or five Half Life Three projects, such as a game that would have been a VR shooter, um, a game that was inspired by Left for Dead, where it would be very procedurally generated, um, and you'd be infiltrating buildings in a procedural way and then also a more story-based half-life game that would have played around with time and going back and forth in time just seeing all these ideas it's just a shame that none of this came to fruition but hearing them saying they they really feel confident now to just tackle half-life and they they feel like the expectations pressure is now being just you know lifted off their shoulders I'm I'm quite excited for you know what what the future brings and I'm I'm just I just found it really fascinating how all these projects just came in and out and just were just you know just didn't come come out in the right way they wanted to or maybe perhaps Valve's development structure and how they're very flat in in nature just it wasn't very conducive to producing you know a game in that mm -hmm. series. Just like you said, I, I I'm. Not having been uh, a player of the Half-Life franchise, I, I hope that this is that validation that the fandom, the community was hoping for, right? Yeah. Like, if anybody thought that they never even thought to do the next episode of Half-Life or that they they never even considered doing that, at least we know now, not only did they consider it, but they had attempted several times. Yeah. And so at least they know that because they love this franchise, uh, Valve, now they might have the chance to go back to it with a fresh, clean slate. So. Definitely. I think that the expectations probably just built up and built up in terms of they tried a few games at the start back, back in 2008 and it sounded like those just didn't get, get off you know, the, the production cycle. And then as time passed, greater expectations of what a new Half-Life game would become started experimenting with VR shooters. But if you would re release you know, a Half-Life minigame shooter... I'm not too sure, you know, the fandom would be too, you know, <laughs> happy with yeah, that. Um, as yeah, a, be the as Metroid Prime thing. Federation force. Yeah, that's, issue, a, that's a great example, yeah. Um, but hopefully something something comes out of it in the future now. They've released Half-Life Alex and and got some good, good feedback from that. I'm going to sweep in with my cynicism hat on, oh. and I don't know. I'm, I'm not as positive... Uh, as you two i think in my reaction to this so admittedly i haven't read or watched any of this content so i don't entirely know the nuances of it but the fact that it's been so many years like what i think valve's last kind of conventional full price release must have been portal 2 which was 2011 that's nine years 
they've had plenty of time to release something and i think using I mean, fan pressure as an excuse is to kind be of... fair they have been releasing stuff it's just releasing stuff that's not traditional uh, not part of their initial you know franchises because you know the other franchises got popular i.e csgo i.e dota 2 i.e failed project artifact it's just they and i can see your point in terms of they've they've probably had a lot of team turnover in terms of the types of people who used to produce those games are no now no longer with the firm so can they can they build back up a team that and get a team running in that flat hierarchical structure that can really you know knock it out of the park uh, of what you would expect out of a kind of triple a type of title if that's a portal game or a left for dead game or you know half-life i, I see and that's kind there. of the thing like they've very clearly changed direction in the past few years mm. and like yeah, it's focusing more on dota 2 csgo stuff like that that is totally fine and they've obviously had steam to you know focus on as well that's that's a big part of it they've had to manage that storefront the fact that they've that has been their priority over the past decade is totally legitimate i don't think trying to justify not releasing stuff under under the kind of the excuse of you know the the pressure and the fandom wants it too much and you know that sort of thing is necessarily fair if that wasn't i think it's slightly fair if you're thinking of how you produce a project and and your project is a vr shooter as the new half-life game i don't think that's the right way of producing a new half-life game i think you would have got absolutely obliterated on the internet and the half-life ip the value of that would have just got like luke said federation force was a great example of that um as you know i haven't played the game it might be really good it might be really cool but the fan reaction to that being not a traditional or what they wanted out of a metroid prime or even metroid game was was not that and i, I think i think it is kind of legitimate in terms of you know the expectations after half-life 2 had passed and maybe five or ten years later were so great in terms of next-gen technology consoles coming out and you know what would be the next big step in narrative style fps's all of that weight on your shoulders would would have clearly impacted what types what what type of game you wanted to produce so i think it i don't, I don't quite agree with you on that point um but i i, I think yeah i i think it's a sh- i think it's more there just studio hierarchy that is the real culprit here in terms of the fact that projects at Valve seem to only get gain traction if a group of people are really interested. And because of the flat hierarchical structure, you'll have loads of these groups of projects, but no one to really direct and, you know, just say, press on with this project. And I think that was probably the other main culprit um, in terms of, and probably the most overriding culprit in terms of, you would still have had this expectations problem, but you probably would have had a game that would was developed more further along the line if you didn't have this flat hierarchical structure in my opinion i'm just i'm just speculating of Mm. course but um, i mean that just sounds like bad management to me i wonder if there's a concern then rob to almost uh, supplement uh, your argument here it's is there a risk of them having waited too long that the audience who would play half-life 3 isn't even the same audience that played Mm. and loved one and two and episode one and episode two like uh it's almost like when they tried to rebuild guitar hero and rock band right the audience had kind of moved on from that or you know for that maybe not a great example since there were many reasons why that didn't take back off again but uh or are we in a time and place where you know people are ready i mean the final fantasy 7 remake obviously critical success and people were loving to play this new version and the previous one came out you know 20 years ago or or so so i wonder if that's also if the time for half-life 3 has come and gone or if there's still hope for whatever this new version is because likely we'd still have to wait another four years for this new one if they finally are just getting off on the ground with it i think the time for a traditional half-life 3 in the way that people were wanting in you know the early 2000s i think that probably has gone now but it's like if, if they have a like a bold new direction that they think is like a legitimate kind of you know good narrative next step for the series i think they should just go for it and not 
necessarily worry too much about that reception because there's been so many instances of a game like metro prime federation force just wasn't that good so it's never going to win but you've had like you know stuff like the win wind waker completely changing the mm. art style of zelda like that was derided when it was first previewed and now it's beloved now and if, if they do really have confidence in that then they should just you know really go for that and don't let that sort of deter or slow them down if it's just like a mini game or like another idea and they just want to like put on the half-life name that might go worse but i, I do ultimately think that uh the the point that amal made and that you know this structure is holding them back is probably that's probably the thing and like it sounds like they're trying to like justify that under the guise of like the pressure which i don't entirely back but i don't know it's something worth watching i'll definitely give it a a, a watch after this and hopefully you do too yeah and hopefully they also create a left 4 dead game because apparently that got cancelled as well which nah, nah, nah. portal 3 <laughs> thank you and good how about a portal level creator and just leave it at that that's portal 3 just leave it to the community that's it. That that exists. Portal two. Yeah, true, Custom true. But just just make make a more robust version of that. Mm. Add a few more mm. gimmicks, and that's Portal three. Mm. They had a. Um, I don't know if you guys have played it, like Bridge Constructor game. They had one for the Portal franchise, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, but I want a Portal game. Oh yeah, yeah. I still want Portal three, but someone do it please also speaking of all this Bethesda stuff apparently they were also trying to create a Skyrim like RPG as one of their projects so that was quite an interesting tidbit um, I don't know if they'd be able to do it like have Valve really done a proper RPG before no well as the the timer ticks down and um, we get closer to uh, to the end of the episode and the end of the world i don't know uh, do we have any questions um yeah. that anyone would like to answer so i've got a question a few questions uh from various people the first from aaron which i've tweaked slightly sorry aaron but um essentially with the given recent release of the bikini bottom remake that, that spongebob game that has a very big cult following what other I'm I'm giving the question to you guys. What other what other questions uh, sorry, what other games rather have gone under the radar and you'd like to see a remaster of? Um so any games that you may like or you know games that you feel like deserve a remaster or, or you know, re release type of treatment. Thanks for the question, Aaron. Um yeah, it's good good to hear from you again. Um Luke, would you like to answer this first? Sure. No idea. Uh, now, perhaps it's it's top of mind that we've talked about Metroid enough, but uh, I know everybody seems to be waiting for the Metroid Prime trilogy re-release. Uh, and the one thing I think would really make fans happy would be sort of a remaster of it, not only with updated textures, but um, just keeping that core mechanic in place and just updating everything that's in it. I think the one thing that people don't talk about with this trilogy remaster is that everybody forgets about Metroid Prime 3, which came out for the Wii and specifically had motion controls only. Yep. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's not as easy as just bringing it to Switch. Yes, we have the Joy-Cons with motion control, but I have a Nintendo Switch Lite. Do I need to buy a second set of controllers? If so, it's still on the tiny screen. I can't put Completely it on the TV. So forgot about that in terms of. And so games, now yeah. they need to actually remake all of Metroid Prime Three based on the controls. Mm. So there's really uh, sort of an issue here that makes me think a remaster would actually take longer for them to do, but it should definitely be done I could because just, those games are so good. I could just see them importing the gyro type control scheme because um, mm. that would work well with even the fixed controllers um, mm. and having that splatoon type you know shooter gyro gameplay would work mm. well but yeah that's a really interesting point I didn't realise that they kind of had shot themselves in the foot with that kind of they shoot did. skew yeah. that. <laughs> that's exactly Rob, right Rob do you have any uh, games that you felt like have gone under the radar but would maybe like to 
see a re-release remaster well thanks for luke taking the bullet for me i have had time to think and i've come up with a great answer so one of my favorite recent remakes of a game that definitely needed it and it has been relatively under the radar for the series was the Link's awakening remake on switch last year i i greatly love that the logical next step from that is bringing the oracle games to the switch potentially with the same art style as Link's Awakening. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of the Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons are incredible games that are both really different and actually some of the most interesting and even difficult games in the Zelda series, especially Oracle of Ages. I had it as a kid and I got massively stuck. It's it's like labyrinthine in nature. But um, those two games kind of, and the series has uh, this like cult rumor around it where it's like there's meant to be a third game in the series that kind of tied them all together. And so there's so much scope that if they did a remake, like what they could do of it, like would they create like an, a master game which combines everything? Would they create a third game? Would they sell two? Would they sell three? Like, there's there's so much uh, room for turning these ancient Game Boy Color games into something modern. And I hope that that's something they decide to revisit um, in the near future. Cool. I have got one. Um, and it is a game, an old PC shooter back in the early noughties and it's called No One Lives Forever and it was essentially a female spy shooter, um, very James Bond inspired, had these really cool zany wacky gadget weapons um, and had a really cool you know spy thriller story, cool setting, cool you know outlines of missions but it's it's been stuck in develop um, license hell rather in terms of the original license holders and I think Warner Brothers or someone has has meant that it's been difficult to re-release the game on gaming platforms um, stuff like Steam and stuff so I think GOG there was talk of it going on good old games the good old games team um, there's there's some really good articles actually uh, just to, to preface this about good old games um, trying to get the licenses for these really old PC games back 10 to 20 years ago where they're in license hell trying to solve the legal disputes and get it up on their store which is a really cool read I, I really recommend you searching out those articles if you can find it but essentially they're, they're trying to solve this one I don't know if it's already released or is about to be released or they're still trying to solve it but essentially I'd really like to see that, that game return because it, it was just a really cool concept that I think would fly really well under you know today's market but it's just lost to time essentially um oh that's cool like that sort of i i don't know whether you can still i assume you can still like download the games through sketchy means but um, yeah but you, if you want to buy it legally you'd have to go to ebay buy buy your used game copy um, and, and do it that way yeah, I guess that kind of like formal legal game preservation is quite an important thing, especially as we move towards an all digital future. Like being able to have a lot of those really old games accessible through some sort of online store is is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but it sounds interesting. Um, I'm all down for James Bond um, type things. Well, uh, while that game was called uh, "What You'll Never Live Forever," no one lives forever. No one lives forever. Uh, sadly, this podcast has not also gone forever, so we have run out of time. Oh, could I wow. could I sneak in one yeah. cheeky question? That is a quickfire question asked by Synth. Who? Okay, well, well just just asked... for Synth, our favourite uh, OAP <laughs> listener. Do you guys shop in Audi or Lidl or go elsewhere, or the American equivalent of your supermarket over there? <laughs> Lidl, I don't think we have. We have Aldi. Aldi oh. consistently ranks very highly as sort of this explosive high growth, uh, like small format grocery store. Yep. I've been to the Aldi in Pittsburgh. My one best friend swears by it. <laughs> it's quite good in there. Uh, but typically I, I'll go to uh, one of the a Safeway or a Martins, oh. one of the other major chains. Safeway, that, that takes me back before I got taken over by Morrison's. How about you guys? I would go to, uh, because I don't have any uh, Audi or Lidl's near me, and I never really have, I always go to Sano's 
um, or Sainsbury's if you want the full name. Sainos? What? Sainos. Sainos. Who says that? Yeah. Uh, Dean, who will appear in a podcast at one at one point, uh, he coined the name Sainos. So I've used it ever since. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm going to pop down to Sainos, buy some groceries, lads, in it. I'm going to say that to someone the next time I, I, I say, you know, talk about <laughs> this kind of stuff. I wanted to see their reaction when I say Sainos. <laughs> what? <laughs> what about you, Mark? Would you go to Sainos or would you go to uh, Audi or Lidl? So, out of Audi and Lidl, I'd go to Lidl. Come on. I mean, Lidl is the original, the go to discount retailer. But uh, in terms of my normal supermarkets, I've got a wide variety here, but it's it's really the Tesco outside Central. And if I'm in Central, it's going to be a Sano, I guess. But, you know, shout out to the, the M&S food halls and, the, and the, the waitresses out there. I do like my upmarket, you know, food stuff. So, you know, when I want to splurge a bit, I'll be going into there. If I want to pay 70 quid for a new AAA release instead of 60 quid, be heading up to those those particular shops just to show that I'm a bit more upmarket. Yeah, I'm going to buy all my next-gen games at M&S because <laughs> why wouldn't I? Well, um, that's a great end to one shop KO. Uh, one I checkout. It. I don't know. There must be some sort of yeah knockout checkout. One shop checkout. Supermarket sweep KO. Oh, sorry. I don't know what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I'm trying that. to work in PO for purchase order, but that doesn't really apply here. So, uh, purchase order. Uh, Adulting. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's serious uh, office lingo there. Um, for all our all our uh, listeners are within the twenty four to thirty age bracket apparently, so they'll they'll know exactly what you mean. Cool, sick. Um, it's well, it's been a great episode, uh, a nice brief episode, and um, yeah, hopefully we can get this out quickly, and you can uh, give us your feedback as always, and have a great time listening to it on your on your daily commute to your room or <laughs> wherever you go to. I don't know, <laughs> or during your trip in Sanos. There we go. Yeah. When you're popping down to Sanos to buy some groceries, listen to us. I actually do. It's, it's my uh Listen to Oko in Sanos. There we go. Oh, boy. I hope you all have a great week, everybody. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks. Um, should, we, should we cap off with a one-hit KO attempt? Yes. Let's do it. Three, two, one... One, One hit, hit. KO. KO. Nice. Peace out, guys. <laughs>